I'm glad you're here. I will say, like, when I, I get to speak in lots of different arenas in uh, the gig I have going now, but um, when I am here at this conference, I feel at home, like, with people that I just resonate with, and it's so fun for me because I get to see former teachers and student teachers and students and colleagues and and if I haven't worked with you, uh, I'm so, uh, maybe this will, maybe the future will, will provide that opportunity. One never knows. All right, I have to warn you a little bit about me. My students always give me this feedback. My brain is really dense, and so I'm going to fire hose you with a lot of stuff. So uh, pick what you can and catch what you can. I also just wanted to warn you, what I, my speaking style tends to be promise and deliver. So in the promise part, I'm basically telling you, this is why this is going to matter. And so often during the promise point, people are like scrambling to get all that down, and then they, they're like, wait, what? So I'm just letting you know. I'm going to give you quite a bit, just in the uphill, just to say why this matters. Then there's going to be a section where I model for you, you know, examples of it. And then we're going to have a workshop in the end when you actually get to start applying it. Because I always feel like if you go to something, it should be usable for you, ideally. So um, just know that that's kind of coming. Um, so my, my lead in is this. I wanted to connect to your theme um, of renewed renewal. Because I found when I was a first grade teacher for a couple decades, you know, it's frontline work, it's glorious work, but it's just like, it's just pound, 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 pound. And you're in this moment with all these soldiers that are in the front line with you. It's such a good moment to stand shoulder to shoulder, take a deep breath and encourage each other. And I'm hoping that some of the stuff that I present today is, is, in, is insightful to you and gives you uh, a glimpse of a new type of joy that could be before you. So that's hopefully what this is going to be. All right, so just i.e., this is what, uh, this is my plan of attack. I'm first going to just tell you why supporting students' comprehension and fluency with informational text is critical. So I'm just going to do this push. Why, particularly with informational text, comprehension of informational text is much more challenging for, for many students. So I'm just going to kind of unpack why that is. And then I'm going to talk about some extra benefits of creating your own informational materials. Like you're gonna get a big bang for your buck. That's the other thing as a teacher and as a, a presenter, I'm always thinking about if you're gonna do something, what can you do that can give multiple benefits? So that's, and this is kind of this intro piece and I'm gonna go through that kind of quickly. So that's just to set the stage for this, which is basically I'm gonna talk about some examples of how I created it and then the process of creating it and then we're actually going to have some time to create it. So I'm giving you the warning. These, you're, there's going to be a lot of information here, and you're going to want me to slow down maybe and, and you know, go marinate, but I'm just going to fire hose you. So just warning you. Okay, so section one. Why supporting students' comprehension and fluency with informational text is critical. To equip students to be strategic thinkers uh, readers, thinkers, and responders, this is our ultimate goal. That we don't just expose kids to informational text, we, we equip them to read complexly, to think complexly, and to respond complexly. So that's the ultimate goal. Just that alone gives you a sense like, wow, we need to do some good teaching up front to have that come about. Why? Because why, these are, why text can be challenging? 
because they have different organizational patterns. For example, a text can have cause and effect. It can have sequence. Um, so it, it can have different text features. I mean, not alone. There's so many different text features. There's challenging vocabulary. The, tense, the, the text tends to be quite dense. So like, if you're talking social studies, one paragraph can have a whole hundred years of history kind of packed in there. Uh, you have new and unfamiliar concepts, and you have a variety of reading levels in your with your students, and often, particularly if they're uh, texts that you purchase, like a history text or a science text, the chances of that reading level being the perfect match for every child in your class are Zero, all right. Unless you have one kid, or then you got for a manager or something. So uh, I want you just to take a moment yourself, because I find that the best learning is when you start thinking about where I am and who I'm at. So think about you in first grade, fifth grade, eighth grade, wherever you happen to be, and saying like, yeah, when I'm using informational text or teaching informational text, have you had students struggle with these things? Right, and in what way? So just hold that, okay. Next, the need to be skilled readers, thinkers, and responders is ever increasing. So we know, I think I read an article, and I did, I did read an article recently, and the, the think is, I don't remember the exact percentage, but I think it was something like 70% of information an adult reads is informational. And yet, we don't necessarily spend as much time training kids to think, critically think, how to process through informational text. Another statistic that I read a year ago, which is a travesty to me, is about 3% of high school seniors, 3% of high school seniors across America are equipped to read their senior um, text, chemistry text, right? And my argument is not because we only have 3% bright kids. It's that somehow the breakdown of that isn't happening somewhere, right? I mean, so, and I always think to myself, I'm not Debbie Downer like, oh, that's so negative. Instead, I want to say, what is it that we can do in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, to increase kids' skills so that they collect a lot of skills. By the time they're there, they have a whole collection of skills. All right, acquiring and using information is integral to performing well in school and in life. So they're saying ever more, even in jobs, there's just this flooding of data and information, and it's really helpful for adults to be able to process informational text, even in careers. And then students need to know how to read information successfully so that they can acquire, use, and apply information that is presented. So that's a little bit why. <clears throat> okay. Some ways that text can be used in your classroom, and I just want you to think about these. I'm going to read these off, but kind of hold them in your background. So when we move towards the end and we start thinking of how could you actually apply this in your specific context, maybe thinking through this may help you. So maybe think about in your current curriculum and the way you teach, which of these skills is something that you're like, yeah, I do that anyway. Gather information. Summarize information, locate facts, determine fact from fiction, determine fact from opinion, compare contrast information, build vocabulary, build research and presentation skills, and I think we should be doing this at every single level. Enjoy the discovery and wonder of learning. I think that's one of the beauty of working with informational text is that we can cultivate kids 
in God's image. I mean, God is a creative God, right? He is, his heart is so responsive to the world, and he created us in their image. And kids, I think, are naturally responsive to the world, but sometimes that gets pressed out by the way we teach them or the way we test them. And, and so there are ways, I think, that we can teach in a way that kind of cultivate and bring that out. So there you go. Okay, next. We're moving on. That's uh, introductory one. Here's introductory two. The extra benefits of creating your own informational texts. Number one, you can create materials that meet curriculum needs while meeting students' comprehension and fluency goals. If you get back to that old fabulous phrase, the zone of proximal development, which is the zone between what students can do on their own and what they can do with help, you can create texts that are right in there fluency zone or decoding zone, comprehensive zone, and that meet the curriculum needs. Because what I hear a lot from teachers, and maybe you feel this too, is the pinch of time, the pinch of energy. Like, oh, I don't have time to do all that stuff. But if you had a text that could do both, that could be, you know, double dip, fabulous. All right. Um, remote, promote rigor while supporting student engagement and commitment. So a classroom that respects what students bring to it what they are capable of and interested in, and that welcomes them into an active intellectual community is more likely to achieve rigor. So there's a lot of research out there, and you know, I'm a research guru too, right, and all that stuff, and then there's the research part of me that's like, yes, 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 and then there's the teacher part of me like, yeah, when that, when's that gonna happen? How's that gonna happen? Like, you know, I got stuff going on, I got, you know. So, um, so here's kind of the both, I think. So if I step back and pull this out, and I said, do I want, ideally, to present a context where kids can really work and sweat? Because here's what we know. If they work and sweat, the skills and the knowledge last in their memory. If they don't work and sweat, what naturally brains do, just to survive, is that washes out stuff it doesn't need and stuff it doesn't use. But here's this trick. If you make kids work and sweat, their brain won't wash it away. So me, being that was like, oh, interesting. So we have to do something where kids have to kind of work and sweat in their zone of proximal development. And I find kids and adults of all ages that I work with are a little more willing to work and sweat if they have some skin in the game, if there's some interest, if there's a little bit of novelty, if something welcomes them in. And I found, because I taught in a very diverse um, school system, if I included some uh, content that was very relatable to some of their backgrounds, which were very different than mine, and sometimes different than what the curriculum involved. So there you go. There's that. Next. <clears throat> Just FYI, someone went out there is saying, well, what does an intellectual community even mean? It means uh, ideally you're building respectful exchange of ideas, appreciative listening, Framing your thoughts with evidence, i.e. when kids have a dialogue, they're not just saying, well, this, well, that, but they're able to also present evidence to extend thinking and extend each other's thinking where they can kind of co-collaborate, 
weigh ideas, reach conclusion, they can speculate, they can hypothesize, they can evaluate, they can analyze, they can think independently while working collaboratively. So ideally, if you have a really rich task, what I, what I tell my students when I teach children's literature and in my reading courses, I always say, you know, if you lay a banquet, kids are going to have much better nutrition than if you just give them a Twinkie, right? So like texts matter. What kind of text you use matters. So if you can create a text that's nutritionally dense, you know, you can, you can use, you can get kids to have much more rigorous engagement and higher level activity. So to me, I think of, yes, I want this intellectual community where these skills are happening, but I also want a place where kids feel like they belong, which is more, I would label a community of learners, i.e. a community of learners consists of a group of individuals who share values beliefs, who actively engage in learning from each other, both teacher to students and students to student. A community of learners is a group of people who support each other in their collective and individual learning. And I have found when I create texts that kids relate to and that they have background knowledge in and are interested in, as they work with them, this beautiful thing happens and that there's a sense of belonging. Like, I don't know how to describe, I don't know exactly how to put it in words. So, you know, to me, yes, I want this rigor and I want to see kids doing high-level thinking, but I also want to feel like if they didn't show up, the quality of learning would be less, right? That, that they're valued, that they all have input. So that's another benefit. In order to create a community of learners, teachers must craft learning environments that is warm, inviting, inclusive, safe, filled with high expectations, for effortful, there's that work and sweat piece, and collaborative engagement. Students need to feel like a valued member of the classroom community. And I think this is an extra benefit of using texts like this. Learning to read takes high degrees of intentional effort. This effort could include sustained focus, delayed gratification, and self-regulation. So for those of you who are not, don't have hours and hours and hours to read uh, lots of peer-reviewed journals, just know this is coming out, one of the big things, which I think Christian schools teachers have known forever and have capitalized forever, that, that hey, motivation matters, right? Inviting people in matters. Teaching kids that you, do, you pay now or you pay later, right? You put the work in now so you can have the skills later, or you avoid it now, and then later all this stuff happens, right? So um, when students' interests, confidence, and dedications are, are aroused, they are more likely to develop values, beliefs, behaviors that support literacy growth. All right, that's just the introduction, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you turn to someone next to you and just unpack. Did I convince you that this is worth doing or that this could actually benefit your classroom? Yes or no? Talk to someone next to you.
going to share with you three examples that I created and the thinking kind of behind them. So this is kind of like the dangling. And as I'm showing you mine, I want you to start thinking of something that you can do. But just know that after I show you what I did, I'm going to step you through all the thinking. So I'm going to kind of download all the thinking. And then I'm going to go down the thinking one by one and have you actually do it. So this is kind of like, you know, I like rigor. Have you noticed I like rigor and engagement? That's kind of something I'm into. OK, so these are the examples that I did. This, these are not my students. This, this was second and third graders at the Potter's House School. So a teacher of mine, uh, I had this idea, and I was like, I'd just love to roll this out. And she's like, oh, yeah, let's co-collaborate. And her co-collaborate was she did the behavior management, and I did all the planning and teaching. So it was a sweet deal on both ends. Okay. <laughs> so basically, I started with this. Like, I like to ask myself, what does the research show? And... What do I know from my own experience? Because I think teachers who have taught along, you know, you know a lot of stuff practically. So there's that data gathering, but there's also what does the research show? And the research shows this. If a child has a lot of background knowledge about an informational text, A, they will dive in, they will be open. Technically, when they do brain scans of brains, that the, the, the the brain is much more quicker to focus in because they already have schema on something. And, so, and then they have kind of a positive attitude. So uh, writing something uh, that connects well with kids' background knowledge is very powerful. And or, if this is not true, you can do a mediating experience, i.e., this is so dangerous for me, because I'm kind of a mover and there's all these goals. Ah, so funny. Uh, I do faceplant. Promise me this will not be on social media. <laughs> I think that's a fair request. Okay. Uh, if, you, if they don't have uh, background knowledge, so maybe 9% of your kids would have background knowledge and the 10% don't, it's going to be helpful if you do a, something called a mediating experience, i.e., do something that will give them that. So maybe it's an experience, maybe it's a video, maybe it's an explanation or a story. Okay, background. Next, connections, i.e., help them actively connect the new to the known. So it's not just enough that they know something, because some students won't normally just work to make those connections. So help them make connections. And then if there is some type of intrigue, i.e., interest different, like anything I think that is teacher made is automatically different than what's in the textbook. And if it has your own kind of creative twist on, that's already intrigue. Or, and, or, you can write it in all kinds of creative ways. So I'm going to show you some examples of some creative ways. And then motivation. We do know that when students are interested and or if you include like having it be about people that they're interested in or things that they're interested in or if you have techniques that are interested in. So in a moment, I'm going to show you my examples. And I'll just let you know before I show you this. So the way I started is two things. Number one, I went to the teacher and I said, what are you currently studying about? Because if we're going to do all this stuff, I'd just rather have them grow in their contact knowledge. And I wanted the background knowledge. Like, what are they student? And she said, um, we are doing an immigrant uh, unit in our second and third grade class. And it's all based in Grand Rapids. So the study of immigration of our families, but also the immigration right around our area. So that was what she gave me. And then I also said, like, you know, what kind of text do they use? What kind of techniques do you use? What kind of strategies are you going to work? So she told me all their strategies. 
So that the strategies I would teach would be a good match for what she wanted to do. So I started there. And then I also said to myself, what are some engaging ways I want them to respond? So maybe having them move physically, having them maybe use materials they haven't done before, having them grouped in different ways, because I knew that if I had them do something, that would add a little bit of an intrigue, right? If I had them do something which would be a little bit different. So just know that when I was thinking of these three activities, those are the two things that I concerned first. So <clears throat> I also challenged myself, I said, okay, what kind of informational texts are even out there that I could create? So I, maybe I could write a magazine article, I could write a newspaper article, I could use a program, a letter, recipes, pamphlets, advertisements, trade book, a menu, maybe there was class maddening, like maybe there was a class book out there, maybe there was packaging or signs or maps, right? There's lots of informational text out there. So I just kind of marinated myself and what was out there. And then I came up with this idea. Uh, because it was immigration, and I have a very good relationship with the uh, principal of that school, because he used to be my principal, and he worked with me for 20 years, and I can get away with anything now, you know, after 20. I paid my 20 years front penance. I said to him, I'm doing this project, and I said, here's what I'd like to do. I want to interview you, and I want to create a diary entry on you, and like a day in the life of you. And then I want to interview you about your grandfather who lived right near that school where he lives. And um, I want to interview you about what his life would be. And so I created these two, uh, a little bit of a stretch of informational because they're like biograph they're biography, right? So there were these two journals. And so these were the two texts that I created. And I considered, okay, what would their... Uh, sight word level be, what would their decoding level be, right? But I will tell you, the interest was off the chart because it was their principle. It was a story about their principal's life, of something that they didn't know. And it was their principal's dad, I mean grandfather, who had moved right into that school area. So already I had that piece. So that was the text. This is bugging them out of me. <laughs> All right, okay, now... Here is what I actually had them do. Can I make it easy? You got a surprise for me? No, I'm just going to try to help. Oh, Michelle, you just do wonderful. Thank you. Okay, so I had them do a graphic organizer. So my goal was for them to pick out key ideas of both. That was the strategy. But how I wanted them to apply it was then to make this double bubble graphic organizer of um, key ideas from Mr. Boy's journal and key ideas from his grandfather's journal. You are wonderful. This is already better. And then yeah, right, compare and contrast them. So that was the kind of active thinking I want to do. So that's example number one. Here's example number two. Um, I got the tip from the teacher that they take a field trip to the Grand Rapids Museum. They have this whole immigration um, unit. And I thought to myself, you know, so often when kids go there, they don't read those plaques. They don't really know how to read those plaques. They don't have the skill to read those plaques. So I said to my challenge myself, I said, like, what could I do? Could I bring that in? And we could have like a training session and do that. So I had talked to the, uh, the lady who ran the museum and I just said, hey, I'm affiliated with a class who's coming here and they can't wait and blah, 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 blah. But I'm a reading person and so I want to equip them to actually read the plaques. And she was really juiced about it. So she goes, I'll get your permission. So I just took my camera and I took images 
of a couple of the posters that they would, would come across in the display. And then I went to the print shop, um, a college print shop, which gave me a good deal, and I made posters of them. So then we had a little lesson on, on how to read them and how to do all that. And then I put these posters around the classroom. And then I had them work in groups. I gave them this, this little paper, and they had some sticky notes, and they had to read a section and collect the facts. And then they had to generate questions, like what would be questions, like what do we even want to, because I wanted to train them, like you don't just go to a museum and read a poster and then be like, oh yeah, that's what that is, okay, that's what that is. Instead, you know, a thinker, a responder would say, if that's true, well what about this, and what about that, and what about that. So then I had the posters around and they had groups, and they had to go to this group and they had to work as partners and read it, and then they had another partner that they had to kind of collaborate and say, what meaning did you get, what meaning did you get? So they did all the sticky notes like that, and then they co-collaborated with these deeper questions. Now what the fun part was is they took it upon themselves and they said, now, because they were so into it, like it was kind of hard to shut it down, they started asking questions and then the other groups were like, okay, put the questions on the board, and now we want to go and then answer those questions. So it kind of took on its life its own. So it was really a fun activity. Okay, here's the third activity that I did. She also said as part of their immigration, they, <clears throat> they um, studied the architecture of the buildings that were there. So some buildings that were still in that neighborhood right around school that... Um, that they would, you know, they do a walking tour and then they learn about that and how those were influential in the, in the immigrants that, that went there. So I said to myself, oh, that would be so interesting. So, and then I thought, well, I don't, I mean, I already had kind of the straight in, in thing, so I said, oh, this is what I'll do. I'm going to do an architectural mystery where I'm actually giving them clues and then their choice was either going to be this building, that building, that building. And so we started with Mr. Number Two. And I, the thinking I really wanted to do was this, this process of elimination. Like, if this is true, okay, then that would be eliminated. And here's another clue, then this would be eliminated. And then to be able to present their thinking with evidence. To say, we think it's building, you know, A, because of this, because of that. And I actually thought this would be really easy, fun, and engaging, right? There's a, kind of that little novelty piece to it. Um, so their response then was to be able, so they got a map of the neighborhood, and then they had to label on the map which one was A, which one was B, which one was C. That's how they were going to give their answer. But what was really fascinating to me, this was a, a group of second and third graders mixed, and some of the students they all worked so hard for the comprehension, which was really powerful, and I loved that. But it was the thinking of the elimination. Like they wanted to read a couple clues and then just guess and call it good. And so we had to kind of circle back and unpack that thinking underneath, which was, it was really powerful and so beautiful. And I mean, this is what I love. Sometimes you know how kids will give you a little and then they're done. I mean, they wouldn't let me quit. You know what I mean? They're like, we're getting this, we're making this out. So, I got a lot of sweat and rigor out of that. Oh, it made me so happy. All right, so here's what I want you to do before I get into the next part. Turn to someone next to you and go, how do any of these examples spur on something that you could possibly do in your, you know, like, is, is there anything in here that kind of spurs, like, how could you possibly create something? We're going to go step by step. I'm just giving you a moment to, to kind of unpack that. Okay, go.
the whole thinking process fast, and then I'm going to give you the thinking process slowly, where you can think a little, do a little, think a little, do a little, think a little, do a little. So I'm going to go, and then I'll go over it again where you can kind of unpack it. Okay, because my thought was, if I did it all at once, you can get the whole, because some people are peace people, some people are whole people, and this way I'm trying to hit everybody. <laughs> we'll see how that works. Can't make everybody happy. All right, so here's the steps. Uh, scope and sequence of fluency, like look at your scope and sequence. Uh, look at the curriculum content. Think about key vocabulary. Think about their background knowledge. Think about the word level for kids. Think about the type of informational material. And then add a twist, right? So there, those are the pieces. And now let's, I'm, I'm going to unpack them a little bit. All right, so scope and sequence. Now, I'm, uh, I did comprehension, but you can also do fluency because a lot of kids struggle with fluency with informational text because of the vocabulary and how to chunk it out. So that's the skill. So, so number one, you think, what skills will you be working on anyway or do your students need work on in either comprehension? Now, here's just some. Connecting their background knowledge, set a purpose for reading, confirm information they know, use text features, use context clues, uh, learn vocabulary, identify main idea, monitor for meaning, draw inference, ask questions, determine importance, summarize, right? Those would be maybe some, or it could be fluency, it could be you know, phrasing, it could be uh, using your voice as a tool. So first you think about, hey, I want to double dip. I'm not just doing something to doing something. Like, what is it that I could teach anyway with that? And then you think of your curriculum content, either social studies, science, math. Maybe you have another type of curriculum. Uh, what content area would you like to work with? Do you teach a unit? Like in her case, she had a whole unit on um, immigration, right? Is there a school event? I mean, I'll just tell you selfishly, when I was a teacher, I would like to do things in, like thinking ahead, like, oh, I'll have that on the wall for parent-teacher conferences, or I'll have that on the wall for parent nine, right? I mean, you might as well look good if you're going to do something. And sometimes when I'm really juiced about it, kids get juiced about it, and then the parents all want to see it. So if I coordinated when they were coming in, that would help. Okay, is there something connected to parent night, parent-teacher conferences that you want to target? Or maybe you have a school something, right? I mean, there always seems to be something going on in school. But so if you can do that anyway, you know, that's kind of a double dip. And then key vocabulary. Here's a plug for teaching vocabulary. It is so undertaught and so critical. And here's the thing. When do you have time to do that? Well, here's another way, right, that you can fit something in. It's kind of like putting all those vegetables in the lasagna and people are like, hmm, this is chewy. <laughs> What's happening? vocabulary goals in your curriculum like maybe there's if you're like do the Marzano method and you say hey these are all taught in third grade a way to get it in you may want to create a text that highlights a vocabulary term so anyway that's something okay and then creating current background knowledge think about what your kids already knew now like for me one of the reasons I did this unit for them is this was their school neighborhood <coughs> I mean, they walked that neighborhood. Those buildings are around their playground area. So that was easy for me to tap into. So for you, too, to say, like, what do these kids already know? You can embed that in your text. You might want to include topics that are interesting or motivating to students. And here's another plug. Another one of my passions is, you know, there's kids that are a little bit outliers for many reasons. And, man, if you include something that lights them up, or if you have a kid that's already, especially in upper grades, that's decided, I'm not a thinker, I'm not a reader, 
this is a way to kind of draw them in. Um, okay, I'm a big fan of woo. All right, think about word level and students' own practical development. So when you're scripting it, you just want to be thinking, I can't make it too complex. Now, I found after I taught a year, right, and I found myself sounding out phonetically phone messages. I was like, yep, I'm pretty familiar with the sight words and the, the literacy. So think about sight words, number of syllables, the complexity of words, from words that they would be familiar or unfamiliar with. That's just something to consider when you're scripting your text. And then, this is the fun part, I think, think of the possibilities of informational text. Recipes, catalogs, biographies, Applications, packaging, resumes, programs, newspapers, trade books, instructional materials, order forms, letters to the editor, advertisements, lists of ingredients, pamphlets, newsletters, class-made materials, textbook, faxes. I mean, who faxes anymore? I think this is an old list. All right. Um, <laughs> what's that? Someone said to me, look at that really big CD. I'm like, yeah, that's a record. That makes me feel old. <laughs> Okay, want ads, signs, emails, list menus, and maps. All right, just, I'm just going to put this up again, but maybe while we're getting there, those of you who like to think ahead, may think to yourself, hmm, this would be the type that I want to work on in a couple minutes, right? This, like maybe uh, a catalog, or maybe it's application, or maybe it's an advertisement. Like maybe well, think about what you might want to the form you might want your um, informational text to take. All right, so that was a that was a steps. Quick, quick, quick. Now we're gonna go slow, slow, slow. So roll up your sleeves. This is the audience engagement part. All right. So just know what we're gonna do is we're gonna identify a reading skill or strategy. In a moment, I'm gonna have you talk with a partner about what that could possibly be. You're gonna identify content. I'm gonna have you talk with a partner. You're gonna select a type of nonfiction text, right? You're gonna consider your parameters, i.e., reading level. And then here's the other thing I want you to think of, and this is what I tell my students in my college classes. When you're writing a lesson, lesson for me, which is, man, how great. They write a reading lesson for one kid. Isn't that great? When did you ever get to do that? I said, I want you to do the thinking. Definitely, it's all about the thinking. But have students do something where they have some rigor and engagement. They're not just filling out a worksheet. Maybe they're creating a graphic. Maybe they're organizing things on a map. You know, right? they're, they're actually doing something active. Okay, so that's coming. All right, so here's what I would like you to do. Turn to someone next to you in a moment and think, hmm. Now, this is just FYI because I'm a former first grade teacher. I love early elementary. You know, this is so powerful. You can do this whole class or in a small group, i.e., you could read to them because the research is now showing that when we read informational text to younger kids, they can do high-level thinking if you walk them through. So if you're kind of early mentor, say, like, I'm off the hook, baby. I don't have to write. Nope. Okay, so you can think of something that you could script for your class. And, you know, so great. They're going to love it. All right. Number one, think of a skill or strategy in your current situation, class situation, science or whatever it is. Uh, so think just of the literacy skill. So choose one. Here's some ideas. Connecting background now, set a purpose, confirm information, use a text feature, context clues, identify main idea, monitor for meaning, draw inferencing, ask questions, determine importance, summarize, synthesize. I also just put a few fluency here. Uh, reading with accuracy, reading with phrasing, right? So if you're early L, maybe you just want to do the phrasing piece. 
or maybe this is you, like your kids don't, or using voice to emphasize learning with pitch, volume, right, whatever it is. So this is your moment. I'm going to give you a whole minute, and you're going to need to claim something. Talk to someone next to you and say, like, oh, man, she makes us work and sweat. Why? Because I want the learning to be durable. <laughs> Of 
format would be the best match for a science piece or for a mathematic. Like maybe it's information about how to use a theorem, which would be a little higher than kindergarten. Uh, I'm just realizing that I'm being recorded, which is scary to me because I'm not a very scripted person. I'm like, that is a nightmare. I'm not going to let my mother know that she can do that online. Fine. Um, okay, so think and talk among yourselves when you're ready. Like what? And maybe someone next to you can help you out. If you're like, I'm so stuck, maybe you can brainstorm together. Like, what would be the best? Can I ask you? Could I be a field guide? What? Okay. So I can make my own field guide. Right? 100%. What? Okay, I'm trying to think, like, well, we're doing composting, so, like, a field guide about the creatures that live there, because it's not, like, a, you're not going to get an email from a, or it a could compost be, like, another thing, it could be, like, just an information piece with, like, uh, like the how photographs, like, those photographs that they could label, actually, you could have them recreated, too. I know, oh, I know, well, the plan, I think, is we're going to make pamphlets, or we're going to create stuff to educate a larger community about yes. So the, the ultimate goal is we're going to create information. I think, why not use that? What? Okay. 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 I have the best vision. Are you going to share your PowerPoint? I haven't. Is this a keynote? Is it a PowerPoint? Yeah. It would be helpful. Let me think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not necessarily opposed to it. There's a lot of information, so I'm like, this is me, man.
all for not making it awkward, like no one's talking and no one's doing anything. And oh, this is great, you're all engaged. You're, the fun. you're such a great group to present to. Okay, uh, I know that there's some, some people out there that are um, indicated to me like, this is kind of a new thing for me. Like, I maybe have students written something, which you can also do some of the same thinking to have students write their own text. Um, and or, you know, they thought, they said, I haven't done this. I just haven't done this before. But here's the thing I'd like you to just step back a minute and say, if you were to be the one scripting it, whatever it is, maybe it's just an informational paragraph. I mean, there's a lot that can be done with just an informational paragraph to teach, you know, right, key details or um, leading sentences or support, right, text support. Well, anyway, think about this. If you were going to script something, what would be the most important vocabulary or vocabulary word that you would need if you, for that unit, for that thing? And or, what reading level? So for example, typically if you're going to read it aloud, make it a poster, so like maybe you're going to do what I did, and if you're like in K1 and you're saying, hey, I'm going to have a poster, I'm going to read it to kids, Maybe then it could be at a second grade reading level because you are reading it to them because that's their listening level. Um, but if you're reading it and you're saying, no, I'd actually like to script something for my lower readers in fifth grade, maybe it's at a third grade level or a fourth grade level. So think about what reading level you might want to make it. And then maybe what length. Would it be a paragraph, two paragraphs? Is it a lot of, you know, like, just kind of just generally, what kind of parameters? And then how are you going to display it? I mean, this is such a great age with all these projectors. There's all kinds of things you can do. So, I mean, are you going to make it a poster? Is it going to be digital? Is it going to be, you know, handwritten? Um, is it going to be, you know, copied off so they each get a copy? So some things for you to kind of think about. So think about if you were going to write it, what would be key vocabulary? What kind of reading level would you target for? What's the length you would be aiming for? Is it for one lesson? Is it for a collection of lessons? I mean, that could be different things. What way would you display it? And here's what's great about all these brains. There's going to be somebody next to you that's going to think of a way of displaying it that you didn't. You're like, that's genius. OK, you can talk those over.
will probably be second nature for many of you. Think rigor, and that doesn't necessarily mean pain. Rigor means that they're doing more than copying something, that they're doing more than guessing what's in your brain and what you want them to write, right? You're just having them do some type of activity. So higher level, maybe they're analyzing, maybe they're comparing, maybe they're um, evaluating, maybe they're giving um, uh, evidence for their answers, right? You're, you're having them do something that's a little more rigorous, and you're having them do something where they actually, this is what I like to think of kind of painting kids in a corner, that's me, it's so evil mind, that I like, I have them do something where they can't get away with just sitting or copying or mimicking or writing somebody else's coattails, right? They have to do something to get after it. And I try to make it an activity that's active and interesting for them. So maybe it's some type, creating your own type of graphic organizer. I'm a huge fan of thinking maps. And the reason I'm such a fan of thinking maps is because they're not getting cues from me. Like I don't make something that they have to add. They have to create how many categories, how many things, right? So I, I like to have them create their own graphic organizer and or sticky notes. I'm a big fan of sticky notes too because I don't know, they're fun. They're expensive, but they're very fun. So you can use them and do them all kinds of ways. Well, just a little note to sticky notes why it's so helpful. Just this is for you nerdy brain people. Um, all kids have different amount of working memory. And working memory is when you're doing two things at one time. You're holding information, but your brain is also doing an act of work. And so um, I like to think of working memory like the amount of memory I have in my phone, which is zero, right? I always want to do, I can't even take any pictures because there's no memory on my phone. But kids have different amounts of working memory. Like when they're reading and they're holding, and then you want them to read another paragraph and they're still holding information from that, that's very taxing on their brain. So having them write down things, like do a little bit, write it down, that releases their ability to have to hold that. So that's, even though sticky notes are like fun, but what's great about this is it gives them this release, like found it, identified, and then they can manipulate it on paper because for some kids that takes so much working memory to remember them and then manipulate them to move them around, sequence them or categorize them. For some kids, it's like, whoo, a big drain. So that's why sticky notes can be really helpful. And then have them do some type of oral presentation or a short film. I mean, there's so much technology in so many ways and kids can do so many things, right? Short film, maybe some type of digital response. Maybe you could even like do something and then share it with, you know, other schools, right? Uh, the, so there you go. Or you can perform some type of reader's theater. So we always think of reader's theater as like uh, reading fiction per se, but you can do a lot of fantastic oral presentation with nonfiction. In fact, I have a whole presentation which I couldn't fit in this presentation, but I don't know, maybe someday you'll catch me doing that. So that's another great gig. You can do informational types of reader's theater. So there's lots of, which would be more fluency work, right? So here's the thing I want you to talk about just kind of brainstorm around people. How could I have kids respond actively to this text? Because if you go back to the very first thing, we want kids to be rigorous readers, thinkers, and responders. So here's this responding piece, right? It's, it, and, and it kind of forces them to do rigorous thinking. And that produces durability. So talk around yourself what some type of active response I could have them do.
sold hat for you. Um, I just want to challenge you, like if you are someone who's ever written a morning message, if you can write a morning message, you can write an informational paragraph. Come on. Like, right? Come on. If you can write a journal entry, you can write a recipe that has mathematical stuff that you want kids to fill out, what, what numbers are important or whatever it is that you're, so you know, you have it in you. I'm just saying you have it in you. I'm just going to review what I did to kind of spark. So this one, I did journal entries, like by, like they were actually biography, comparing the principal and his grandfather, and then I had them do the graphic organizer, double bubble. I actually, in this case, I, this is what I didn't talk about, you can adapt what's already out there and make it yours. So maybe if you're saying to yourself, I'm not a creator as much as an adapter, just think of creative ways that you can adapt texts that are out there. Maybe you can take a piece of a text and then transpose it into pieces that are posters around the room, and you're going to use that text as a way to train them how to read informational posters when you go on a field trip. I mean, right, there's some adapting. And then in this case, I had to do collaborative work where they had to collect the facts and then uh, generate more, dig deeper, and then they had to meet in groups because I'm always trying to get kids to dialogue, right? Not just to share blah, 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 but to co-create information. And so they asked the question. They read the same thing, right? These guys asked the questions and they answered them, right? So a lot of active work. And then, whoop, I'm still going to bite it. Oh, my goodness. These were the mysteries that we talked about. And then... Um, because one of the things I want to do is have them do mapping skills. So this was kind of a double dip. They did the mysteries and then they had to find it on the map. So I was trying to get lots of different content in. So hopefully you have learned a little spark today that you might be able to take with you. God bless you on your literacy instructor journey.